What up, Sea of Red? You're listening to Into the Flames, a Calgary Flames fan podcast. Your home for all things Flames and updates around the NHL. With your hosts, Raja Burry and Noah Eppleston. Into the Flames, new episodes every Sunday. Yeah, why, you saw a short, chubby guy walking around in a suit? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm looking forward to this, guys. What is up, everyone? Today, we're with Sportsnet and Hockey Night in Canada's Kelly Rudy. How are you, Kelly? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for the invite, Raja and Noah. I'm looking forward to this chat. And by the way, so your your viewers aren't confused. It looks like I'm having an ice-cold beer. It's a San Pellegrino. So not that, <laughs> not that I'm against having a cold beer, but uh, right now, just for this, I'm going to have a uh, San Pellegrino. And then I'm going to take my wife out for dinner. And I might have a couple of cold beers. There we go. There awesome. we go. That sounds like a good plan. <laughs> Kelly, what has been your overall take on the Flames this year and what Daryl Sutter has done? Uh, in my opinion, uh, they've only met expectations. They haven't exceeded them. This is what I thought they were going to be a couple of years ago and, and last year. Um, I, I think this is a great team, even though they've added a, a few pieces from what they were last year. Uh, and that certainly helped. But this is what I kind of thought this team could be. They just, they had underachieved. Um, I don't know if they knew how to push themselves hard enough to get to the level where they are now, but now they're, they're certainly, they've learned that. And I think it's pretty exciting for Flames fans. They, they get to see these guys at a consistent level. We saw this on occasion throughout the last couple of years. Right. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. uh, and by the way, I do give them a break with the pandemic because I've heard a lot of players uh, uh, and they don't want to necessarily share that publicly because everybody in society is going through similar things with the pandemic and how that has affected all of us but but it certainly affected their play and uh so i think coming out of this a little bit might help them as well yeah you were saying with the pandemic um like that we have that three-week break in december here uh i was really surprised with how well the team came out after that and continued to play this style of hockey that that got them wins I was really impressed with that yeah same I was I was concerned I know Daryl Sutter expressed concern as well I believe it was after the Seattle trip at the end of December um, and at that point uh, uh, Elias Lindholm he had a, a bad case of uh, COVID and he was playing but he wasn't playing very well and I know Daryl Sutter talked about that uh, on more than one occasion that, uh, you know, you see the guys on the ice and it looks like they're playing, but they're just not quite there. And so once they were finally able to get over the how the pandemic was affecting them physically, um, and then I think then you really saw them get some traction. And, and Lindholm, of course, has been brilliant after that. Yeah, he's been amazing. Um, I just wanted to ask you quickly about Jacob Markstrom. Um, mm-hmm. Compared to last year, uh, a lot of it, I believe, has to do with the the defensive system ahead of him. But when when we signed him here to that six uh, six years, six million, uh, his first year here, it took some settling in. He didn't look quite like his regular self. But this year, he's just come to come to be the goalie that everybody's known him to be. And uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I'm with you. I, I also think, though, if you remember his first year, he got off to a tremendous start. 
And then Vancouver's old team, they were in the Saddle Dome and there was that second period collision. Markstrom went out to play the puck and uh, there's a collision between he and Tanner Pearson. And uh, Markstrom, uh, he got pulled that game, I believe. And I think he was pulled in his next game. Hard for me to remember now, but, and then he needed some time off. And, and when he came back, you could see he was battling hard to try and find his game, but it never really quite returned to where uh, his expe expectations were from when he is in Vancouver. But this year, uh, I agree with you, Noah, that with the, the better defensive structure they have in place, um, he is finding his groove. Now, I'll say this. It's hard what he's doing. Coming from a team like Vancouver, where he was bombarded nightly with shots, and I don't know exactly what the number was, was but I'd say ballparking around 35, 36 shots a night, which is a hearty workload. And then oh, yeah. to come down to ballpark 24, 25, which he's getting most nights here, um, that's hard to do mentally. Uh, it's one thing, it's actually a lot easier to go from 24, 25 shots up to 36 because most goalies can handle the workload and just uh, mentally you're you're more into the game and more focused. Whereas when you get reduced workload, then if you're not used to it, the mind can wander a little bit. And so he has just been fantastic, uh, both physically and mentally adapting to this new style that they're playing and also his own game. This is a little bit of a fun question I had planned. I like it. But... Um... You were born and raised in Edmonton, correct? Yep. Okay, so you're born in Edmonton, but you commentate Flames games. Is there an Alberta team that you tend to lean towards more or less, or are they on the same playing field? <laughs> They're on the same playing field. When you're a, a, a broadcaster, especially uh, a lot of my job is a national broadcaster on Saturdays on hockey night, so I don't have an affiliation for any team, really. I know that bugs people or they can't understand it, but even, uh, you know, I have – you know, of the 32 teams in the league, I honestly have friends in every organization. So I can't really root for one over another, you know. Right. Uh, in fact, LA's coming to town tomorrow. And uh, Luke Robitaille, he's the president, one of my former teammates, the general manager is Rob, Rob Blake, one of my former teammates, one of their assistant general managers. Uh, Mark Bergevin that just came from Montreal. He's one of my former teammates. I look around the league and it's the same way in a lot of places. I have friends everywhere. So I, I can't pick between Edmonton and Calgary, even though I was born in Edmonton. I live in Calgary, but I we did make our home in Calgary in the early 90s, even when we were playing in uh, California. So I have that connection with this city. Uh, but, you know, people ask me that all the time. And it's also very funny. I, I find this comical when... Uh, I check social media after a game and people call me a homer. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. It, it doesn't bother me. Now, it makes my job easier if the Flames win. There's no question about it. But I'm a Sportsnet employee. I'm not employed by the team. So, you know, there are broadcasters that are employed by their teams and good on them. And, you know, there's so many good broadcasters out there. And it, it kind of makes me laugh when I see that I think they're doing a fabulous job and other people call them homers and all this kind of stuff. It's ridiculous to me. <laughs> no, yeah, no, that's awesome. Uh, you're just a, a fan of the game, right? You just I'm enjoy a fan it. of the game. Yep. Enjoy the my wife and I tonight, after we're done this podcast, we're going to go to this uh, little pub by our house and there's going to be hockey games on. And we'll watch and uh, then I'll come home and my wife will watch other shows on TV and I'll get on my laptop and I'll start watching hockey again because that's what I like to do. Yeah, awesome. awesome job, awesome. right? Awesome. It's the dream. Uh, mm -hmm. you, you brought up some of your old teammates and uh, 
it makes me want to ask you, uh, did you have a favorite team that you played for back in your day? Yeah, I, I'm going to, I'm not dodging this question. I'm going to give you three different answers. Okay. Nope. Because I played on three different NHL teams. So when I first went to the New York Islanders, I was drafted in 1980. And in 1980, they had just won their first, first of four consecutive Stanley Cups. So I go there in 80 for my first training camp. They're coming off their first Stanley Cup victory. And I was in awe. And so then I went back to junior. Then I played two years in the minors. So when I finally made the Islanders in 83, they just won their fourth consecutive cup. And we were to go to the finals that first year of mine. So they went to the finals five years in a row, which if you think about it, it doesn't even make sense in today's world, right? With the salary cap and so on. But I'm around, you know, Brian Trotche, Mike Bossy, Dennis Potvin, Billy Smith, Clark Gillies, all Hall of Famers. Um, and then all the other guys like Bob Nystrom, Bob Bourne, uh, Dave Langevin, Stefan Pearson, uh, Chico Resch when I was first draft. It's a who's who of NHL stardom. And so I was super quiet. I, I barely said anything. And all I wanted to do is learn from these guys and just listen. And I didn't say very much. I was very uh, shy back then. And I just drank it all in. And I tried to learn as much as humanly possible by absorbing all these things, uh, these all, all these experiences and trying to become a better pro. So then uh, when I was moved to LA, uh, that was a unique experience because I kind of branched out on my own a little bit. Mm -hmm. I was, uh, you know, I felt a little bit alone because when you're the number one on a team that popular with Wayne Gretzky and, you know, we weren't the best team in the or in the world, but we're maybe the most popular, if yep. that makes sense, because of yep. having Gretzky in the trade from Edmonton to L.A. and all the uh, fanfare and all the media attention that Wayne brought. And so that was a really cool experience to sort of understand how Bruce McNall, our owner, kind of wanted to make us popular. He wanted to make us uh, important and relevant. And so that was a cool experience. But also, I think most importantly for me is how my family and I loved California and Southern California, LA. I mean, my kids, uh, we must've taken them to Disneyland over a hundred times and, and we lived. Oh. Yeah. Right. Crazy. And uh, by the way, if you're a California resident, you get a discount on the price. So that, that's oh. reason why. but also we lived uh, at the beach. And so we were going down to the beach often. The kids love that walking the strand down by Manhattan beach. And it was just a, a really great uh, living experience. The, the, the restaurants, I mean, I would go up to Wayne. The NHL back then was a little bit different if you lived on the West coast or most likely, most likely New York or something. So we would have like a two week homestand and, and then we'd go on the road for two weeks and we'd keep doing that. It seemed a lot. Our closest competitor was early in LA was uh, Vancouver, which is a good two and a half, three hour flight. So there's nobody really close until Anaheim and then uh, San Jose came on board. So uh, we'd be on the road maybe, and we'd be going home in a week. And I'd, I'd say to Wayne, I'd say, hey, what's a, what's a new restaurant that Donna and I should try out? Because you usually get like three days off between games at a certain point so he'd give us a new name we'd go try out these really cool restaurants and so that was a great part of our uh, existence living in uh, Los Angeles and then finish it off in San Jose was really cool because 
I uh, met a man that uh, by the name of Dean Lombardi, he was my general manager and we really clicked and we had a really special relationship. And finally, my last year in the NHL um, was Pat Marlowe's first year. And so I invited Patty to live with our family. So he, he lived, we had a little guest house on our property and Patty lived with us. And so that was his first year in the league and my last. So I went on, on a real high getting to know uh, Patrick and now getting to know his family and all that kind of stuff. So a lot of great experiences for different reasons in all three cities. No. Yeah. All your, all your teammates and experiences sound amazing. I, I had no clue that you lived with Patty Marlowe in yep. his first year. That's yeah. That's amazing to hear. Wow. He, he came into our house and had almost every dinner with us or we'd go out for dinner um, after, and this is not an exaggeration after every single home game uh that we weren't leaving right after we'd come back and sit in the house and in our little family room and donna would make sandwiches and uh, the three of us just sit up until three in the morning and chat about hockey about life about you know he growing up in aneroid saskatchewan on the farm and then patrick uh, left to go to swift current because the competition in around aneroid wasn't uh, the level that he needed because he was quite advanced at a young age and so all these cool stories to hear and to share and and uh, Patrick and I still stay in touch we text uh, every once in a while wow that's amazing hmm. that's that's awesome hey see you've read Raja here with a special announcement I'm a brand ambassador for SeatGeek. SeatGeek is a mobile app that literally lets you buy tickets in the easiest way possible I think their tagline is that they take the confusion out of buying tickets Something like that. Use the promo code CFT to get $20 off of your first SeatGeek order. I'm talking sporting events, concerts. Remember, the promo code is C of T. Share it around, tell your friends, and go Flames go. So I guess now going back to the NHL trade deadline or even slightly prior, yep. um, what were a few of the moves that really stood out to you? Like They don't have to be like the big moves, even if it's just like one of those like few under the radar value acquisitions that mean a lot to a team. Oh boy. There were so many of those this year. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Tons. Right. Um, I'm going to say, well, first of all, I'm going to say for the flames getting to Foley mm -hmm. um, and uh, yarn croak uh, really big. Um, and by the way, I don't think flames fans should be concerned about yarn croak and not scoring yet because he's just a really complete player. And uh, scoring may come with him, but that's not really something that uh, really is important to me for him. He just plays a gritty game. And by the way, if you watch how he switches hands with his stick. Yes. Uh, Isn't that cool? Uh, that is so cool. I, I, I noticed that early in his career and then I'd totally forgotten about it till he came here. And uh, I just thought that was amazing. Uh, I'm going to say Marc-Andre Fleury. That's a big trade. Uh, Minnesota made some big moves getting uh, Delorier. I don't know. Did you see the fight last night with Delorier? Yeah, I did. Uh, <laughs> Steelers, incredible fight. And that Delorier, by the way, he's not just a, a guy that can mix it up. He's a really good penalty killer. He's good on the fourth line. Um, there are just so many little subtle moves like that that I thought, and I'm drawing a bit of a blank here, but uh, that's kind of what I think for a lot of the teams, they, they didn't need to make a really big splash, um, but, uh, really depth moves. I, I really liked Colorado going out and getting, uh, Arturi Lekkinen from Montreal. Yep. I thought that was a really good move for them. 
I mentioned that last night on our broadcast because he's a, he is, I hope this is a fair assessment. And I, I sort of said that to Rick last night. He's a really solid guy. He might be one of the smartest hockey players uh, uh, during his time in Montreal. And he's got really good skill, but for some reason he just can't finish. And, you know, early on in his career, I was always hoping that as he became a little bit more experienced, a little bit more mature, that he might put the puck in the net on a more regular basis, but I was wrong. I, I just don't think that's going to happen. But once again, now you understand that you're not getting him to score you 25. I think that a reasonable amount ballpark for him will be 15 or so. He's going to get a lot of chances, but for some reason he has no puck luck. It happens. players, it does, Right. Yeah. Puck just doesn't want to go in sometimes. For some people, right? Not everybody is Johnny Goodrow or or uh, Elias Lindholm or Austin Matthews and right. you know, those kind of guys are special players. But they really are. Um, I just wanted to touch on the on the Flames decor this year. Um, players like Rasmus Anderson and Noah Hannafin, they've been rather quiet in their time in Calgary, but this year they've really um, taken a step forward and become like true top level top pairing demon uh do you think a lot of that success comes from daryl i hesitate because i'm going to say no i think these players it's just sort of like the the regular growth of really good players you know you have to have a lot of skill to play at the level they're playing and rasmus anderson i think all of us could see it early he was he's going to be a fantastic player he had tons of raw talent and sometimes you have to sort of learn when to uh, not turn it on, but just sort of use that unusual skill that he has a higher skill set than most. And sometimes it takes a little bit of learning that maybe you back off a little bit because you're afraid of making mistakes or you're trying it too often. I think his mix now is just wonderful. He's a, he's a guy that wants to make a difference in every game Rasmus does. And Noah Hannafin is a little bit quieter. I think that, again, when you see that skill set early on, that people may have maybe put a, a label on him that he's going to be uh, maybe not a Kale McCarr, but a higher point producing defenseman. But I don't think that's the case. I think he's just going to be a really solid guy and a solid year might be 30 to 40 points uh, moving forward. Um, but he does have, you know, good offensive instincts. He's a great skater. And he, I think he's a perfect example of, uh, really having a lot of patience and, and by a lot, I mean a lot that I think people thought he was going to be at a higher level sooner, but that wasn't the case, but nonetheless, he's there now. He is. And something with Hannafin that surprises me is he's only 24 or 25, I believe, but he's already played 500 NHL games. He That's has crazy. so much experience under his belt already. That and easy, right? It is crazy to believe yeah. that. Yeah. Like a lot of players don't get into the league until they're, 20 like 21 22 23 and then they're up and down out of the lineup yeah. and whatnot, but he's just been so consistent night in night out and yeah. he's he never seems to be hurt either he's always he's always in the lineup yeah it's very good um i think that quietly the calgary flames defense by the way with the help of their forwards on the uh on the back check and and so on they have really really done a great job of uh, protecting Markstrom and just defending overall. They're really, really good. They really are. And yeah, when we lost Gio, that was something a lot of the fan base was worried about. Like, yeah, Worker was going to fill that yeah, void. To that point, though, Noah, I was sorry for interrupting, but I went early on in my career in New York. I, 
I had Al Arbor, who was an amazing coach, but our next coach for a little bit was a guy by the name of Terry Simpson. And I can't remember who we lost. It might have been Dennis Potman. So one of the best all-time defensemen ever. Yeah. And we were kind of having a discussion, Terry and I, and he had, before joining us, he had coached a long time in the Western Hockey League uh, in uh, in Prince Prince Albert, right. I had to think about that for a minute. <laughs> but uh, and, and we were chatting about losing Dennis Potman. And he said, you know what, Kelly, you know what I've learned? Uh, and in junior, there's a lot of turnover, right? So oftentimes you think you're losing a guy, a really strong leader in the dressing room and, and a guy that has great influence on the team. But somebody usually comes up and surprises you. And and I think what we're talking about losing Giordano and look at the step that, uh, as you mentioned, Rasmus Anderson has made, Noah Hannafin, uh, Tanev has been special this year. Shillington, the most improved player in the league. And then the two, Zadorov and Goodbranson, I think most Flames fans were a little bit worried early in the season, but they've been tremendous. Yeah. They, when those two, uh, when we signed those two, even myself, I was like, oh, oh man. Like, what, what? <laughs> Seeing them together, it's it's been amazing what they're able to do around the, uh, the other forwards. Yeah, they've been tremendous. Off-season prediction. We asked Ryan Leslie and Brendan Parker the same question, so we're going to ask you the same question. Do you okay. envision a world next season where Johnny Goudreau, Matthew Kuchuk, Andrew Mangiapane, and Oliver Shillington are all back in Flames jerseys next year? Uh, well, <laughs> fingers crossed. Yeah. <laughs> That's a big ask, though, right? That's a lot of money that you've got to spend and you've got to find – that money in particular, the cap's only going up $1 million, right? So yeah. that would be uh, definitely, uh-oh, I'm getting a phone call here. That would be a, uh, uh, a better question for uh, Brad Tree Living. What did, uh, what did Ryan Leslie say about that and Brendan? Did so, they think that all there? Yeah, Ryan Leslie just straight up gave us a no. He was like, no, just stoic, just like, no. I was like, okay. <laughs> it seems next to impossible, right? It, it does. And I don't know how you can do it, uh, but, you know, those those cap people are brilliant. And, you know, mm -hmm. Chris Snow is a part of that team. So uh, see what magic they can do. Definitely. Um. Can I ask for your top five uh, uh, cup contenders this year? The five teams that you think have the best shot. I'm going to say, uh, I know this might surprise people. I, I like Florida more than Tampa. Uh, mm -hmm. I love Tampa's experience and their goaltender is brilliant, but I, I really like Tampa. Uh, I like Carolina a lot. Um, Colorado. Did you say top five? Top five, yeah. Well, that's three. Uh, I'm going to say, uh, so then I can go Tampa mm -hmm. and I'm going to throw a surprise out there. All right. Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. All right. Yeah, no, I like and Tristan Jari has been remarkable in that. I, I remember early on this year, we had Brian Burke on our uh, Saturday night show. And uh, I think Crosby had just made it back from injury and uh, Brian Burke said, uh, we're wasting a lot of really good performances from Jari. And now they've, uh, everybody seems to be clicking and, and uh, playing great. And Jari has remained uh, 
phenomenal. So that's going to be my surprise pick. That's good. That's a, yeah. Awesome. I mean, Yari's been really good all year. Um, yeah. Pittsburgh is one of those teams that for sure could sneak in and do some damage without anybody really noticing. Yeah, I agree. They're at 90 points already. Right. So yeah, yeah. anybody expect that from Pittsburgh this year? I don't think so. No. no, no. I think a lot of people would have thought maybe a year ago that this is a team that needed rebuild and uh, <laughs> they've added a few players and, and some other players have stepped up, but this is a really good team, quietly. I really, yeah, I really, that's another uh, trade deadline accusation. Them getting Ricard Raquel right? from Anaheim. Exactly. Yeah. I agree. And one thing you, I don't know a lot of people recognize, when you think of Raquel, you think here's a, here's a skilled guy, and he is, but he's a, he's a gritty forward too. Like he's, he's not easy to play against. And those are the guys you really need. Yep, a playoff performer for sure. I want to ask you about, I guess, given that you're a former goaltender, just the level of, I guess, sports psychology that some goaltenders go through when they're <clears throat> a, having a rough year or have, you know, let's say signed a big contract, yep. or all that sort of thing. What kind of mental preparation or like, I guess, mid-season mental struggles they could go through if they're not having, you know, I guess the type of year that they envisioned? So it happens to everybody, and you don't know at what point in your career <clears throat> it may affect you more than other years. But so there's a long pro process in this. So when you're a young goalie, let's say you're 11 or 12, you could be 14 or 16. It doesn't matter. Pick an age. But yeah. when you're coming up through amateur hockey and you're having a difficult time, those are some of those early tests that you have to try and figure out, usually on your own. And uh, because I would say most kids don't have a sports psychologist to work with, you sort of have to figure it out on your own. And, and usually you sort of find a way to get through it if, if you're on a path going upwards, right? And so, you know, you have these sort of foundations that you can sort of lean on and then you continue to rise and rise. And then maybe you go to junior, you maybe go to college hockey and the tests are greater uh the tests come more often and you face bigger challenges and and hopefully you find a way to overcome those obstacles and then when you get to pro and once you get to the nhl then it's magnified for different things then there's more pressure on you you feel it um there's more scrutiny you understand that that uh, you know i was so fortunate i never played in a world with social media because i clearly think i i would not have been on social media had I been a goalie in the National Hockey League, because just how cruel people can be and how yeah. ridiculous they are. And, and uh, it's shameful, really, but that's a different topic. But uh, then you, you have to deal with that. And I could go through many examples. We talked about Marks from his struggles a little bit last year. He's playing great, gets injured, tries to come back. And more than anything, to me, it's a mental battle. He, he's trying so darn hard to get back to being the goalie he knows he can be. So it's a struggle that way. This year, he comes with a clear head. I look at Darcy Kemper, um, terrific goalie in Arizona. He gets to uh, Colorado, <clears throat> struggles for what, the first six weeks or eight weeks of the season. <laughs> and now he's playing like one of the best in the game. And uh, I mean, the last little bit, he, he, you could easily argue he is playing as well as anybody in the National Hockey League. You look at Bobrovsky, 
and uh, you mentioned about signing a big contract. He goes down to Florida, and it took him, what, two full years to, to get back to how he can normally play? Pretty and, much. And that's, you know, that whole thing about signing a so-called big contract, that's even from my day. Now, the money wasn't the same, but it's still a lot of money back then. And it, it affects everybody. I, I heard a story, and I didn't realize this. Ron McLean shared a story with me. When Gretzky was traded to Los Angeles, he signed a brand new contract. And he said for at least a year, that really bothered him because he was affected by money. And uh, I was traded later that year to LA. I didn't, I didn't see it on Wayne, but Wayne said it certainly affected him. So it, it's going to affect everybody. You sign a deal, then you have high expectations. And, you know, I think it's more, maybe a little bit more magnified uh, when you watch a goaltender, because there's more pressure on that position, there's more eyeballs looking for, uh, you know, to find faults and, and criticism. And so I could probably go through, well, you look at Jack Campbell, I just looked down at my, uh, uh, my uh, conferences, and I, first team I looked at was Toronto and Jack Campbell is a fascinating case study and I hope he comes back soon I hope he finds his game but his career has been uh, He's had plenty of highs and a whole lot more lows simply because he's way too critical of himself. And that, that that's a position that is really hard in the first place. But if yeah. you're beating yourself up, it becomes harder and harder. Uh, you know, I look at uh, Detroit and they're giving up a ton of goals right now. And those two good goalies, right? And yeah. I know the team's not playing great, but uh, you know, Washington, their goalies are struggling a little bit. I'm not even going to talk non-playoff teams, but Minnesota, Cam Talbot was a good goalie. Now they traded for Marc-Andre Fleury. It seems like that competition has helped Talbot get back to where he was. You know, he's at the all-star game. And, you know, you could go through these whole lists. Um, <clears throat> Hellebuck in Winnipeg, he's playing well again right now. But I think he was overused. And so, you know, mentally you're, you lose your focus. All these different things. It's just fascinating to me knowing the position and knowing how difficult it is mentally. Mm -hmm. It is. Uh, yeah, Raja, like your example, um, Huso and, and Bennington yeah. in yeah. Louis. Um, when, yeah, when St. Louis came from being the worst team in the league to winning the Stanley Cup, yeah. it was on the shoulders of Jordan Bennington. And now we've seen another goalie um, in St. Louis come in, come in and take the starting role from Bennington now. And it yeah, should, now, it's so up and down. Yeah. You know what's interesting about that story? Uh, Huso was in the organization as well, but and he was ranked higher than Bennington. But I believe he had injury problems. And so instead of calling up Huso, they called up Bennington and look at the run he went on. Then he signed right. a big deal. A lot of it's uh, timing and, and yeah. so on. But Huso has been really, really good this year. I think he had a stretch where recently maybe three weeks he wasn't quite as sharp as he had been on that long run, but it looks like he's back. And I watch a game on uh, Monday versus Vancouver, and he was a big reason why they beat the Canucks that night. He was just tremendous. Mm -hmm. Yeah, even I was at that game where the Flames beat him 7-1 uh, in the Saddle yep. Dome. Yep. And Same. when he came in in the third period, we still had plenty of good scoring chances yep. and he shut us right down. I was really impressed with the way he played. Yeah, I agree. You know what I liked about that game also? Uh, about Bennington, even though he gave up seven goals and was yanked after two periods, he never gave up. 
And that's one of the things that people think about Bennington. He never gives up. He never gives in. He never says, oh, woe is me. I didn't see him slamming his stick and pointing fingers at his teammates. You know, it wasn't an easy night. They were tired. They played the night before in Vancouver. I think they're finishing off what a three-game road trip at that point. And yeah. going back home, I think they had three days off before they played the Flames again. And, and I, I was really impressed with the attitude that Bennington had on a really tough night. For sure. And yeah, I mean, there has been times as well where he's kind of boiled over a little bit and, no. and shown motion. But yeah, no, he really took took that game well and kept level-headed. And yeah, I, mean, I think it kind of got to him at, at one point, but he's. Yeah. I hope he finds it again because I really like Bennington. Same. And, you know, when you talk about that, about his emotion, uh, that's just him, right? That's not for every goalie. And uh, some goalies need to play on edge like that. And mm-hmm. you know, it's a hard way. You expend a lot of energy. But I said it, when the teams were in the bubble and Bennington didn't have a great year, and then when uh, they restarted and they're in the bubble in Edmonton, he just couldn't find his way. And because I thought he had lost his swagger, he didn't have that, you know, his chin up and in your face and, you know, and that's what he needs. Now it's like, it's, it's not for everybody, as I've always said, but that's how he has to behave. For sure. Definitely. I'm getting a four minute warning on this meeting. So (laughs) you have any, you have any last minute questions, I guess, to ask, we can ask them. I want to ask you, uh, Looking at the Flames prospect pool right now, who's, I guess, your most, who are you most intrigued of? Belche, maybe? <laughs> For that sure. Sense. I, I, I have to admit, uh, I don't know the talent pool as well as a lot of other people. Uh, I keep my eye on it a little bit, but because of my job, I'm focused on 32 NHL teams mm-hmm. and I'm focused on Hockey Night in Canada. So, it's really hard for me to sort of dive into all the players in the minors. I have an idea, yep. uh, but I use other people, my friends around me for that sort of intel. So I wish I could give you a better answer, but I'm going to give you an honest answer that you would have to ask other people uh, that sort of question. Um, it's just, I have my eye on what, seven, 800 NHLers, and I've got to know those guys really, really well. And so it's hard for me to keep an eye on uh, the guys in the minors. But t- having said that, I'm not dismissive towards them. Like I said, I played two years in the minors. I understand how important that part of your development is. Kelly, do you have a, a good story of anybody on the Flames or really any team that you could just leave us off with? A funny story or one of your favorite memories? Just anything. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. You, you caught me on guard here. Let me think about the Flames. Uh well, before the pandemic, I used to travel with them and uh, about a third of the time ballpark, Rick Ball, uh, Derek Wills, Peter Labardius, Ryan Leslie, they traveled with them a ton, almost 100%. But because of my role with Hockey Night, I'm only about 30% ballpark. But uh, I- I'll give you this and it's all about grace. So a few years ago, we we're doing a game in Carolina and I made a bad mistake. I I identified Mark Giordano as the, the player that made a big mistake that, and the puck and it led to a goal against the Flames. And I felt badly. And uh, it wasn't until a few minutes later that I 
realized and maybe somebody in the production truck told me hey kelly it wasn't mark it might have been somebody else and i thought ah oh, gee i hate doing that and uh so i i quickly i found him after the game by the loading dock and i said hey mark i'm really sorry i don't know if your family or if they're watching the game but i identified you and i apologize kelly don't worry about it you know, we all make mistakes i make mistakes you make... i thought that's really grace right and by the that's way yeah, there's one more with Michael Froelich when he was here. Uh, for a while, Rick Ball and I were uh, calling the three stars after a game. We're picking them, right? And this is how three stars go. Typically, you have to pick them with about three, four, maybe five minutes left in the third period, right? So you yep. can get a note down. They can do all the things they do. So that's hard. It puts a lot of pressure on you, right? Michael Froelich, I think, scored one with about four or five minutes left in the third. Ended up scoring one more when we'd already handed in the three stars and then he scored an empty net. It was something <laughs> weird like that. And yeah. so the three stars are called and he's not even one of them. Right. Yeah. And so I went down to the dressing room right after. And I said, Michael, I'm so sorry. I apologize. We pick him. He goes, Kelly, I know how it works. You submit your list well before the game's over. And he goes, no biggie. And I was like, Oh geez, thank you. So a little tidbits that fans wouldn't know. Right. And yeah. Now no I'm really happy to say that Rick and I don't have to pick the three stars anymore because it's <laughs> me out for no reason, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. I bet. No, those are some awesome stories. It's great to hear that the players are so forgiving like that and, and, and truly understanding. That's yeah. awesome. Tremendous. That's yeah. Awesome. So, yeah, we've got less than a minute here, so we should probably wrap it up. Uh, okay. Thank you for joining us today, Kelly. This was awesome. My yeah, we really, I really enjoyed the invite. Thank you, Noah and Raja. Awesome. Yes, Alrighty.